Okay, as Mike said earlier, we're carrying on going through the book Gentle and Lowly. If you haven't got it, read it, started reading it, then I would encourage you to do that. Um, you can find it online in various book places. Um, we're just tracking through really the chapters in that book and seeing how it helps us to get to know Jesus better, helps us to understand him more, helps us to, I guess, you know, draw closer to him, you know, in these, in these times when, you know, we've had a strange time, then actually getting back to just the roots of what it is to be a Christian, to, to have a relationship with Jesus, to grow in that seems to be like a really, really good thing to do, doesn't it? So we're just trying to use that book as a springboard um, in order to do that further and deeper as individuals and together as a community of Christians. So before we get into the important stuff, I've got a slightly less important question to ask you. Who do you think is the best footballer on the planet? Do you think it's Messi or Ronaldo? Because that's like one of the big questions. If you do anything, if you like football or sport, that's the ongoing question at the moment. So who thinks it's Messi? Who thinks he's the greatest player in the world at the moment? Yeah, a few people. Ronaldo? There's a few people that are clearly on the fence a little bit here, really. Claire, who do you think? Have you got an opinion? No idea. Okay. So you think I'm the best? Oh, that's very flattering, Martin. I oh, know you probably have seen me in action in the Veterans League in the past, but uh, probably not quite. Dave Willis, come on. Who, who do you think is the best? Any Berry player? Yeah. I presume you're talking historically, obviously. You know, oh, sorry. You know, open wound there. Pray for you later. Sorry. You know, obviously, there's many Portsmouth players I think are the best in the league, but in the world. But actually, like, they're both very different players, Messi and Ronaldo. I know loads of you are switching off. Don't worry. Come back. Come stay with me. Okay. You know, there's no, but there's no consensus. You know, loads of people think Messi's the best player, maybe the most naturally gifted. But Ronaldo, well, he's worked so hard and he's trained so hard and he's like this amazing kind of specimen of a footballer. But there's, you know, massive debates across the, the football kind of loving people. And it's okay for us to have an opinion and us for us to declare one of them to be the greatest. You can say, oh, I think Messi is the greatest. I think Ronaldo is the greatest. That's kind of okay, isn't it? But if they were to stand up themselves and declare, I am the greatest, then that, suddenly in that moment, we suddenly think, well, hang on, that's a bit arrogant of you. You shouldn't really say that. You can't declare yourself to be the greatest, can you? you someone else can declare you, but you can't yourself. We would kind of, oh, I don't, I don't like the sound of that. Well, today's verses we're looking at are some of the direct words of Jesus. So some of the stuff that he, he said when he was here on earth. And when, when we first read them, they seem very arrogant and very harsh. So we're going to read those passages, those chapters, and then we're going to dig into it today. Because when we read it, we think, man, alive, is this really Jesus talking? But hopefully as we unpack it this morning, we can find that it reveals something amazing and lovely about him. So we're reading from Matthew 10, uh, and verse 34 to 39. I'm not sure if it's coming on the screen or not, but we'll go for it. Oh, there we go. So it says, this is Jesus speaking. Do not think that I have come to bring peace to the earth. I have not come to bring peace, but a sword. For I have come to set a man against his father and a daughter against her mother and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. And a person's enemies will be those of his own household. Whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever does not take his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds his life will lose it. And whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Wow. That doesn't quite fit with the Jesus gentle and lowly, does it? Do you think like, oh, okay, I think we've slipped a rogue chapter in here somewhere. That's not quite the, the picture of Jesus that we kind of tend to kind of build. 
Uh, when you when you read those verses, I don't know about you, I, I just kind of think that's kind of shocking. We're, we're particularly focusing on verse 37 that says, whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. It's like, wow, that's that's really quite shocking. That's the kind of sort of path, the words that you'd hear spoken from someone who's got a really, really big ego that says, like, actually, if I'm not the greatest, if I'm not the number one in your life, then I don't want anything to do with you. Or even like kind of at worst, it sounds like a kind of a, a leader of a cult, doesn't it? That kind of says you have to give up everything to follow me. And, and you hear these stories and we've read stories and we know of these kind of religious cults or other cults around the world where people are literally having to, they, they kind of get under the power of this person and they, they make massive changes to their life in order to, to follow their every word. When we read that, I don't know about you, but I read that and think, man alive, that's, that's quite shocking. So what Jesus is saying here is like actually that he says and demands of us and asks us as his followers to actually put him number one ahead of everything else, even family, even closest friends and our affections, he needs to be number one. So actually, what hopefully we'll find out briefly this morning is that's actually the wisest thing we can do with our life. Okay? So instead of it sounding harsh and arrogant and controlling, actually, I hope in a few minutes' time, we'll come to realize that actually it's the best thing we can ever do with our lives is to put him number one. And there's two kind of key reasons, I think, why these are actually really wise words rather than really harsh and and uncaring and slightly concerning words. They're actually really wise words from Jesus. The first reason I think that we should take them seriously and we should put them into action is that actually he deserves to be our number one. When we're talking about kind of people like Messi or Ronaldo, human beings, they've all got flaws, haven't they? They've all got something wrong with them. They're kind of good at football, but they're maybe not so good at other things. And, and there's parts of their character that are flawed or they're not particularly kind or love it. Or, yeah, we don't, I don't know them individually, but we, when we look at a human, there's, there's never the complete picture, is there? But actually, when it comes to Jesus, he is the greatest person that's ever walked this planet. The Bible tells us he was without sin. So there's nothing, we can't pick any flaws in him whatsoever. He literally was perfect. But also he is perfect because not only was he fully human and walked on this planet and, and lived a life, but also he's the son of God. He's fully God as well. And therefore he's now in heaven, ascended and is seated at the father's right hand, praying for us even this morning, which is kind of quite incredible, isn't it really? So Jesus deserves to be our number one. He's, he's unique above everybody. He's not just a good teacher. He's not some, someone who you can say, well, actually, he wrote some wise words, and that's good for life. Love your enemies and love your neighbor. Those are all good words. We can't just put him at that place and say, well, he's a great teacher, but we've got to be careful how much we elevate him. He's the son of God, fully human, fully God. And therefore, actually, he deserves to be our number one. He's actually the only person in the entire universe that actually can say, I deserve to be your number one, and no one say, well, that's a bit arrogant, because actually it's true. It's totally true that he deserves to be our number one. The whole story of, of the, what we call the gospel is just a wonderful, incredible story. It's a story that doesn't fit with any other religion on the planet, anything like that. That actually, in the Christian faith, we believe that God himself, Jesus, in the, in the form of Jesus, the Son of God, actually it always existed but then in order to save mankind, in order to make it possible for us to find forgiveness for sin, in order for us to be restored back into relationship with God, and, and, and most crucially to then enter into eternal life, so to live with him forever, 
God himself took the initiative to come down and make that possible. It's a wonderful and incredible story. It's something that no Disney film can ever uh, ever beat. It, it's the most incredible story because every other religion says in order to get to God, you've got to work harder. You've got to live a life. You've got to you know, do this. You've got to do this. You've got to avoid this. You've got to constantly kind of get over this. And, and you might then scrape through if you can just about do enough yourself to save yourself. Whereas the Christian faith says you can't save yourself, so don't really bother trying. Actually, God came down to make it possible. And the only way you find salvation is by putting your faith in what God has done in the form of Jesus. It's a wonderful story. Maybe you kind of, I don't know, we get so familiar with it, don't we? We get so kind of, oh, yeah, I know that. Yeah, I know. Jesus came and he died. And yes, he rose again. Glorious, glorious. But, you know, when we stop for a moment and think about it, it's like ridiculous, isn't it? That God himself would come onto earth. The people that were his enemies, that, you know, he suffered at the hands, he was crucified. You know, he wasn't popular. He was popular for a time with a few people and then literally was crucified for what he said. But he did that for you and for me. That's amazing. That's a wonderful story. And if, if at that moment that doesn't, that kind of doesn't cause us to think, Jesus, I'm going to put you number one in my life, then I think we have to kind of keep revisiting it all the time in our life, don't we? I, I kind of am more and more convinced of that at this moment, that actually we need to, the truth of the gospel, what I kind of badly and briefly explained there, we need to be living it every day. It's got to go deeper into our hearts. I think that for myself. I genuinely think that it's not gone deep enough into my life, into my heart. It's not changed me enough. Am I living every day just kind of changed by the truth of what Jesus has done for me? Uh, I don't know. If you, I, I, I'm glad you can't follow me around and read all my mind every day and and see all my actions i'm pleased about that because i think you probably think ben i don't think the gospel's gone deep enough into your life it's not changing you enough ben and and i I don't know i'm just struck by that at the moment i think actually even over these last year or so it's made me realize actually it's just not gone deep enough the gospel and when we when it does go deep into our lives deeper and deeper what it produces in us is a desire to put jesus number one because we're just overwhelmed by what he's done No one's ever done that for anybody in this entire universe. So when he says to us, actually, some of these words that jump off the page to us and seem like really harsh, like actually, if you love anybody else more than me, then he's basically saying you've missed the point. You're not not worthy of me. He's saying you've not really kind of grasped who I am and what I've done because you're not putting me first. Because actually, when you really get, get it or continue to get it or grow in getting it, then it will make you want to put me number one. That's where I want to be. That's where is the right place for me in your life. Jesus can say this. He can say, put me at number one ahead of everyone else because it's true. He's the only one qualified to do that. But the second reason, so hopefully that's vaguely convinced you that Jesus isn't actually being an egotistical cult leader, that actually he's telling us that when you grasp who I am, you'll want to put me first. But the second reason, I think, is that actually, in this amazing economy of God, is that loving Jesus first above everything else actually brings out the best in us. It actually causes us to be better people. I mean, this kind of echoes, doesn't it, where later on in in Matthew 22, uh, where Jesus is asked, okay, Jesus, sum up all of the commandments for me. What's the greatest commandment? There's the Ten Commandments given to the people of Israel. They were saying to him, Jesus, tell me which is the most important command. We all want that, don't we? What's the answer to life in a sentence? Give me the answer. I just want a simple answer. And Jesus said to them, well, actually, the answer is 
Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind. That's the greatest commandment. And then if you want another one, I'll slip it in there. Love your neighbor as yourself. So Jesus said that, didn't he? He said, if you want to sum up what the, what the gospel is all about, what, what my life is all about, he said, if you want to be a follower of me, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind, and then love your neighbor as yourself. So what Jesus is saying here echoes that. But actually what he's saying is that we find a life in him when we put him first. In verse 39 of that bit that we read there, it says, whoever, Jesus says, whoever finds his life will lose it, and whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. What he's saying is actually when you kind of allow other stuff in life and other relationships to kind of go down a little bit in your priority, and he goes further up and goes to number one, then actually you'll find life. You'll find life in a way that you've never known before. You're, it'll bring out the best in you. The truth is, I've said this many times, I know that the more we become like Jesus, everybody in our life wins. Everybody in our life wins. The more I become like Jesus, everybody wins in my life. And he's saying there, isn't he, like in that earlier on, he's saying actually, he's challenging kind of relationships, deep relationships, father, mother, son, daughter, challenging those relationships and saying, well, if you put those first, you haven't grasped who I am. Well, he's saying actually that if we put him first, we'll actually become a better father, mother, son, daughter, mother-in-law. You know, we'll become better at those things when we put Jesus first. Because actually when we become more like him, everybody wins in our life. You'll become a better boss at work. You'll become a better colleague at work. You'll become a better neighbor. You'll become a better friend you'll become everything is better i'm not sure about whether i'll ever become a better footballer for it but there's always hope isn't there really or better at golf that'd be great if jesus number one i might become better at golf that's definitely worth a go isn't it phil but the truth is in all of our relationships as a person i become better i become when i become more like jesus everybody wins and the thing is when when we read verses like that it makes us worried because we've seen humans that actually abuse relationships don't we we have humans that have, maybe you've been in a relationship where someone has demanded of you that you put them first, that you put them ahead of everyone else. And we see it in relationships where people cut off everybody around them because they've got into this one relationship and that's where it's, you know, it's abusive at the end of the day or even if it's just consensual, people get to a relationship and they cut off everybody around them. That person becomes number one. They do everything together. They cut off the rest of the world. And we look at the thing that that's not bringing out the best in you. We look at them and think, actually, I'm worried for you because you're not, you're withdrawn, you're not happy, you're not being the person you used to be. And we think, when we hear words like that from Jesus, we think, oh man, that doesn't sound good. Put Jesus first. That's not going to, that's going to make me unhappy. But do you know, it's the exact opposite. It's the exact opposite. He brings out the best in us in a way that we could never, ever have imagined. It's incredible. We mustn't project onto Jesus what we have experienced or seen experienced in this world. Sorry, a bit of a dry throat there. So putting Jesus first in our affections is not a detriment to the world around, to our relationships around us. In the human terms, that is possible. In God's terms, actually, we get better in those relationships. We flourish more. We become more of the kind of people we want to become. When Jesus is saying these words to us, he's not a control freak who's trying to manipulate us for his own purposes. Actually, we flourish when we put him first. And that's an incredible thing, isn't it? When he says to us, put me first, it's not just thinking, I want you to put me first because it makes me feel good. Jesus isn't saying that. He's saying, if you put me first, it's the best thing you can ever do for yourself. 
It's the best thing you can do for everyone around you. He's actually an act of love telling us to put him first because he knows that that's how we become more like him. But there is a cost. You know, I can't say that there isn't a cost to putting Jesus first. I know people, good friends, people like Omar. I've got a great friend, Omar, the legend that is Omar. You know, when he became a Christian from an Islamic background, his whole family cut him off. Everything. Financially, relationally, everything. When he miraculously, if you've never heard Omar's story, then grab him for a coffee sometime and let him tell you his story. I, I'll tell you, it's incredible. But it, it cost, cost you, didn't it? It was a huge cost when you became a Christian. When you put Jesus first, it cut you off. Now, those relationships got restored in the, in the end, which was amazing. But you didn't know that at the time. It cost you everything, didn't it, to do that? Putting Jesus first does have a cost at times. And that's what Jesus is saying here. Look, when he says, I've come to set a man against his father, that makes him sound really bad, doesn't it? But what he's kind of saying is that putting me first does have an impact. It will change stuff. Some people won't like it, is what he's saying. Some people aren't going to like it. But actually, if you become more like me, in the end, you'll probably win them over. And if you don't win them over, they'll still see something in you that's glorious. You haven't become withdrawn and you know, miserable. Actually, you've flourished. And that is a testimony to God in our life. So hopefully those are two reasons why, actually, when we read these words, we think, actually, Jesus, you're telling us wise stuff. You're telling us stuff that brings life to us. And actually, it should inspire us to think, I want to put you further up in my affections. I don't want you just to be number five, where, you know, you're there, you know, and, and I really love you, but actually there's other people and other stuff I love more. But actually, I want to grow in you going up the list. I want to put you number one, because not only do you deserve it, but I want it because it's going to bring life to me in all its fullness. The final thing, the third and kind of final reason, I think, why following this command from Jesus is so good for us is it brings us strength of faith which means we'll endure to the end i don't know about you but over the last year or so when we've all been scattered and cut apart from each other and stuff like that sometimes i've wondered if i'll endure to the end your faith has felt quite weak at times i don't know about you you kind of thought oh man what does this look like going forward you know is there enough there to keep going i've had days like that when i thought man alive this is hard work you know is it all real have i just kind of be brought up in something and believe something and do I really believe it at all and, and you know you have days that I'm, it's probably just me and again like usual I'm just sternly therapizing myself you know so you can just nod and say well done but but I reckon that quite a few of us have had days like that when we've just wondered is my faith really real is it there is God there and I want to have a strength of faith that endures through to the end in this, in the book gentle and lowly Dane Ortland says this he says when you look at the glorious older saints in your church how do you think they got there? Sound doctrine? Yes. Resolute obedience? Without a doubt. Suffering without becoming cynical? For sure. But maybe another reason, maybe the deepest reason, is that they have, over time, been won over in their deepest affections to a gentle saviour. Perhaps they have simply tasted over many years the surprise of a Christ for whom their very sins draw him in rather than push him away. Maybe they have not only known that Jesus loved them, but felt it. I don't know you, but when I think of... That surprised me. People like Rob and Jenny. You know, when I think of Joan, when I think of John and Maria, glorious saints, that makes me think that those words are true. That they've not only known that Jesus loved them, that they felt it. 
And they've endured to the end through many, many hardships. What's gotten through? Yes, sound doctrine through obedience. But actually, I think when you, when you spend time with them, it's an affection for Jesus. Isn't it? It's an affection for Jesus that has gotten through. And I look at them and I think, man, I want to be like you. I want to do the wisest thing that Jesus tells us to do. The wisest thing that I've seen you guys put into action is to put Jesus first in our affections. Should we just pray? Heavenly Father, we thank you for the truth in the Bible. Lord, we thank you for tricky passages, Jesus, that you threw out there and make us think, man, what's that all about? I thank you, Lord, that when we wrestle with them, we find deep truth that is life bringing to us. Lord, we want to be full of life. Lord, we want to be full of spiritual life. We want to be full of you, Holy Spirit. We want to be people that are becoming more and more like you, Jesus. Help us today. Help me, Lord. Help us as individuals and collectively together to grow in our affection for you, Lord. That we wouldn't just be consumed with what we're doing and how we're doing it and doing the right thing. We wouldn't get consumed with behaving right or being respectable but lord that you would just cause our hearts to be freshly captured with a love for you lord that puts you number one unashamedly puts you number one lord but instead of it crushing us it causes us to blossom Lord, we want to be a people that show you to the world around us we want to be a people that show you to our family lord to our neighbors to our work colleagues to our neighborhoods to our town lord we want to show you lord and that doesn't come by just shouting at people and telling them about you, Lord. It comes by us falling afreshly in love with you, putting you number one, and it changing us forever. Lord, we need your help because we're not great at it. So I pray, Holy Spirit, come and empower us again to grow in this, we pray. Amen.